The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cosenza, and I am playing with some backup headphones today. I hope I don't sound too weird in doing so, but happy to have all of you with us, whether you're joining us live via our YouTube channel, via the Cincy Jungle Facebook page, one of our Twitter accounts, or any other way. If you found some sort of hack that I don't know about and you're joining us live, good for you. And... I'm joined, of course, by the man, the myth, the legend, the brains behind the operation, John Sheeran. John, what's going on, buddy? How wild that be if we were like live on like live leaks or something like that? It's <laughs> on the dark web. I'd be honored, but I doubt it. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows these days? There's all kinds of streaming stuff. I mean, I what, what is it? Twitch is another one, right? I, I haven't. We're, we're not on Twitch. I haven't explored that one, and it's all kinds of different things. But uh, hey, if there's a platform you want to see us on, we're open to listen. We're you know to hear you out if we're not on it and you want to see us on there and you, that's where you would watch it as opposed to where we currently have it that's fine and or uh you know hey if you if you gotta if you gotta catch the show after the fact that's okay too you can do so on the audio side of the of course you can get the video afterward youtube facebook etc but you can get the stuff on cincyjungle.com and the audio stuff of course on itunes stitcher spotify google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones we are there and we appreciate the support. Leave us a review there. Give us a subscribe and a and a thumbs up, if you would, on our YouTube channel. We appreciate that. And all of the Cincy Jungle podcasts are on those audio platforms as well. We've got kind of a lot to get to, to tonight. We're going to talk a little bit T. Higgins. We're going to talk some draft prospects and some news and or rumor mill stuff with some of the players that and prospects that the Bengals have been connected to, be it mock drafts or more likely visits and that sort of thing and then of course we've got a specific prospect profile from one player that they've made a recent visit with at a position that you think maybe that's not going to be in those seven picks but you never know we will see john let's kick it off my man our boy zim Hude. we miss him on the cincy jungle side of things but i know he and our guy ace 
kill it on uh, Wincinnati. But uh, they, our, our boy Zim kind of dropped a little bit of a nugget right around. Was it was it Easter? Right around then, he he kind of said, "Hey, you know, five's deal's done, and now it's now number nine's next." And so everyone kind of got excited, myself included, thinking that our guy had uh, some some insider knowledge as. He's got some good connections and, and all of that. But uh, no announcements have been made officially from the team or from T. Higgins' representation on that front. But it sure has been a T. Higgins fest on Bengals Twitter. Uh, the, ba- the official Bengals Twitter. There's been like four or five different T. Higgins posts throughout the week. I don't know if they're teasing us or what's going on. I mean, it's definitely a tease. Like, they've admitted as much as you know noticing what the collective we talk about and everything and i'm sure they saw that higgins was trending so might as well get some higgins content out there um i, I think <laughs> it started with it was like a picture of all the receivers like in the locker room after beating the ravens to win the afc north and i feel like yep. that was more of a slight towards like the ravens like and how they signed o- odo beckham and that one Cardin clown was like talking about how the Bengals fans are like scared or something like that. Like, yeah, let's sure. You know, I think, I think the Bengals are probably fine and not too concerned about that. And then, then there was like some like tweets about like wallpapers and stuff. So yeah, T Higgins is a, is a popular commodity in terms of traffic on the internet. I think he's trending on Twitter right now because there was another article about how can the Bengals pay all three of these guys, all three being Joe Burrow, T Higgins and Jamar chase. But yeah, Zim has made it very abundantly clear that he's not an he's not a reporter. He like that's not what he's on here to do. But he does have connections and he does hear things. And I don't believe Zim to be someone who would put something out into the ether if he didn't have something that made him believe that it was true. But he did mention that there is no timeline necessarily on this. It's just a matter of hey, like negotiations are at a good point. Maybe there's some type of agreement in principle, but like it's not quite there yet. But again. There's months to go on this if they want to get it done before the season. I think the way I took it is like the relationship between two sides is in a good spot. Like there is obviously enough money on the table to do this. I think the fact that they gave Orlando Brown $31 million up front at a position that none of us really expected them to really target, knowing that they were trying to pay Burrow and Higgins, it kind of gave us a good inclination that there was enough money on the table to do all of these things, and it does seem like we're in a place where it's probably going to happen. It's just a matter of when. It's it's a matter of when. I mean, Higgins, what, grew up as a Bengals fan, right? Um, ended up with, with the Bengals in Cincinnati, has had a, a really successful career. I know while he gets a lot of shine, and rightfully so, he does get outshined a bit by Jamar Chase and some other players on the team, but he still definitely gets his credit in his very, very – do credit because he has been very good since joining the Bengals and a, a big part of their success for sure. And of course the team being successful, he gets highlighted even further. So I think if the money is there, obviously the passion for the team and the team being successful, all of that is playing into it. And again, we go back to some of the comments that Duke Tobin made back at the combine, get your own. We're not, I mean, it was basically, we're not trading him. You know, there's talk about it. We are not trading him. And yet, even through all this, like you said, there are these talking heads out there that just cannot believe that the Bengals will be able to afford or will pay multiple receivers, multiple star players on their team. Um, that we're, 
the collective Bengals fan base and all of us who cover the team and root for the team and everybody were shaking in our boots about OBJ joining the Ravens and all kinds of different facets that have been just, I, I don't know, man. It feels, <laughs> it feels like other people outside of the, the Bengals bubble are just like, man, we don't want this team to be good. We don't want this to take place. It, it almost is like this very targeted, directed, I don't, I don't want to call it hate, but just a, a wishful thinking that these last two years haven't happened for the Cincinnati Bengals. If you're looking outside of the bubble, am I, am I weird in thinking that? I don't know. I, I think it's the, the idea of paying a quarterback, the next highest, biggest, largest contract in NFL history, along with two receivers that are going to, if not reset the receiver market, get up into that upper echelon. That idea it is is rare, obviously. Like no team is doing that, and I don't think any team outside of maybe the Philadelphia Eagles are planning to do that. Andre Prada, a friend of the show, brought this up pretty poignantly today. Like, where's all the skepticism about the Eagles paying Jalen Hurts and paying Devonta Smith in a couple years while paying the back half of AJ Brown's contract? Like, there's no real questions with the Eagles, and I think because the difference between the the narratives of the Eagles front office and the Bengals front office, like that's more or less why I think these things are popping up because if the Bengals of all teams, you know, who are notoriously frugal in the area of free agency are paying two top receivers and a quarterback, then there's no excuse for other teams to not do the same. And I think that kind of makes people upset. Like, Hey, if the Bengals are doing this, why, why, why isn't my team doing this? Why isn't this team doing this? I, and this goes back to what we talked about like last month. It's, backwards the thinking of what's going to happen and what should happen with the Bengals it's never been about okay what players are the Bengals going to keep because they're not going to keep T Higgins no it's what players are they going to be able to keep or where are they going to have to supplement talent on the roster because they're keeping both Higgins and Chase along with Burrow this has been their plan for at least the past year or two ever since Chase joined the team and realized that he was as good as he was and and they realized that he was worth keeping around and building around. They have no intent on letting any of these three go. Now, whether or not Higgins actually does sign the deal or if he leaves in free agency in the next two years or so, that remains to be seen. But this is defi- definitely the plan, and if all goes well, it's what's going to happen. And then the Bengals are going to have to figure out how to build the team around them, but that's where the conversation needs to be. It's not about, okay, you know, is it smart for the Bengals to pay T. T- Higgins or not? Yeah, I mean, we may, you know, if it doesn't go into – long-term contract territory maybe we're in franchise tag territory but a lot of a lot of time but again a a little bit of run this week in terms of like hey is the t deal done we'll see I, i i think there's you know we we had the pleasure of talking to to t higgins earlier or late last year uh towards the end of the year and you know you can tell he he's involved in the community He's been successful on the Bengals, and um, you know I, I think he, both sides definitely want to get this done. It's just a matter of when. And and to your point too, John, you know you mentioned about how the Bengals were notoriously frugal in free agency, and really the trend has been bucked over the last what three off seasons, right? Going in going into 2020, 21, 22, for three or four seasons, I would say. Um, and but you're looking at that, and you go, okay, well, you know the the sample size before that was what 20 25 years in free agency so i mean maybe that's just where some people outside while while those of us in our Bengals bubble recognize what they've done the money they have spent in free agency those outside of the free the, the Bengals bubble 
talk about free agency, talk about who they have and haven't uh, paid, and they look back at the sample size, though it is four or five years in the past, uh, there's about 20 to 25 years of it to look at. And there's there's also still a disconnect on like what it actually means to pay all three of these guys because people still look at it in terms of they take the average annual value and they just assume that that's the cap hits for the yeah, life of the deal right. and everything. And obviously there are cap implications with this, regardless if the cap is going up or not. Like the cap hits for all three of these guys are going to be pretty monumental down the road, but it's mainly about cash, right? Like I went over a T Higgins contract projection for a Disney sports, which you should definitely check out if you haven't already. And it's going to look pretty similar to the deals that Debo Samuel signed, AJ Brown signed, DK Metcalf signed. All three of those guys got at least 20 million in year one cash and around 30-ish, 35 million in cash in the first two years. And that's totally reasonable for the Bengals when you're talking about paying T. Higgins, considering, again, they just paid Orlando Brown 31 million, at least 31 million in year one cash for this season. So it's going to be that for T. Higgins. It's going to be something, you know extraordinary for Joe Burrow this year if they if they get that done as well and I think that's plausible considering you know everything that they've done in the in the past year or two the success on the field that, that they've had all the success off the field that they've had they're in a position to do this financially and I think they're forecasting it enough where like okay we can spread out the cap hits in, in this way and we can get this done but it's mainly just about a cash thing and I don't think that's a problem for the Bengals anymore Naming rights to the stadium, naming rights to the practice bubble, all of that and more in terms of putting it into uh, an account, an escrow account, if you want to call it that, or some, some uh, you know, nest egg to divvy out to these star players that they want to get extended and keep around for a while. And speaking of naming rights, there's a question here from our good friend Crypt Keeper. We, I, I, I was. I think you put out a tweet or something about. Hey, what's was there something about like the most random account you're banned by or something like that? Uh, I almost chimed in on because I, I'll, I'll champ, chime in on the air here. But I think are you blocked by the pro shop? Is that is that what he's referencing there? I am blocked by the Bengals pro shop on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know why. I think a long time ago, this is like three years ago. I might, I may have said something critical about the team or or, you know, critique the team in some way, and I might have rubbed the feathers wrong of the whoever runs the Pro Shop Twitter account. I don't think it was a DM that I don't remember sending drunk that I pissed them <laughs> off or anything like that. I honestly do think... I do remember the Pro Shop following me, and then I saw, like, someone, like, at them, and then I checked out their profile and realized that they blocked me. I have no idea why. All I know is not so long afterwards, I went into the Pro Shop and bought something, and felt really awkward doing so. Like, is someone here working? Like, are they offended by me in some way? But it hasn't changed in a few years. But I don't know. Like, I, I stopped thinking about it entirely until I saw that tweet. And said, hmm, "Yeah, I forgot about this." Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, you got to do that cool behind the scenes jersey un- unveiling type of thing. Uh, so, I mean, you got to be in some good graces somewhere. So, I don't know. Maybe they. Maybe it was so long in the past that they forgot to unblock you. That's okay though. I. And blocked by Vontez Perfect. So uh, I, I must have said something, God, I don't know, eight years ago, seven years ago, something that, uh, I, you know, I never at players. That's not really my thing. Um, so I don't know. He must have got wind or I wrote an article or something that, uh, I don't know, maybe complained about the wild card loss or I, I don't even remember now. It's so long ago. But, uh, hey, Tez, I, I hope you forgive me. Um, you can you can unblock me at any point. But that's another random story for another random time. We have another question, though, and this is a good segue. 
into a little bit of draft prospect talk and visits and all of that. And then it'll segue nicely into our prospect profile. But Rick Shop, uh, who chimes in on the show, tunes in on the show. Good to hear from him. Do you guys think we have a shot at getting Georgia's tight end, Washington? Six feet seven, runs a four six. Uh, we, we've talked a little bit about him, John. He's been, I think he was mocked somewhat recently by Mel Kuyper Jr. to the Bengals in one of his mock drafts. He's a guy where the size, the measurables, all that kind of stuff, you go, wow, wow, wow. And then you look at the the numbers and the actual production and you go, where is it? Um, but a guy that, you know, I, I, obviously he's one of the top tight ends in this year's class. I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. He doesn't seem to be a guy that they've been meeting with or showed a ton of interest in, at least not as much as a guy at the same position in Dalton Kincaid. We profiled him on this show, a guy I personally really like. Obviously, there's questions about the medicals, but those have recently been cleared up as well. Bengals met with him twice now, right? Yes, they have. So they met with basically every single major tight end in the draft aside from like Lucas Musgrave at the combine. That includes Darnell Washington, but no, they have not brought in Washington for a meeting and nothing again seems to indicate that they're that interested in him compared to other tight ends like like a Dalton Kincaid. So Dalton Kincaid officially got clearance from a doctor yesterday regarding his back injury that he suffered at the end of the twenty twenty two regular season and it's basically reported that like he was basically taking it easy and not really putting any stress on that back. And that led him to not doing any off season workouts or testing this off season, not because he probably couldn't, but just because he wanted to just be a hundred percent fully healthy by the time that he was drafted. And the same day that the report came out, he was cited at uh, CVG in Cincinnati or Northern Kentucky. And he took a visit with the Bengals. And that makes him now the second prospect that we know of that has met with the the Bengals extensively I should add at the combine he had like the longest meeting out of any tight end that they met with at the combine and also took a private meeting or a top 30 visit with the team this year so the the Bengals are doing their due diligence at tight end for sure um one other guy now that's starting to get a lot of run and I think there's a lot of chatter that he might be the guy for the Bengals with their first round pick should he be there they Love first-round cornerbacks. They've got long-term questions a little bit at cornerback, a little bit of short-term questions at cornerback, too. I mean, they brought in uh, Sidney Jones as a, a potential Eli Apple replacement. They've got Cheeto, who's one of the best corners in the league when he's healthy, but he is coming back from that knee injury last year, so we'll see how they ease him back into things. Cam Taylor-Britt showed some nice progress at the end of last year, but uh, Forbes now out of Mississippi state, right. Um, is a guy that uh, is really getting kind of some attention in Bengals circles, a guy, a lot of coverage skills, willing tackler, uh, good length, but the weight, um, playing weight. I think he was, I think he weighed in at the combine, what? 170, um, once 165 sub 170, maybe 166 uh, and, was the official yeah, combine weight. Yeah. So, now you're looking at him. He's supposedly beefed up to 175-ish. Um, I think he caught the message from NFL teams that uh, he may need to beef up a little bit. But this is a guy I know that a lot of people are high on. I know Joe Goodberry likes him a lot, and a lot of others like him a lot because the ball skills, the length, the speed, the willing tackler, it's just that weight at the next level is obviously the big concern. Yeah, can we just – I want to have this discussion. It doesn't have to be extensive, but 
like the, the movie Moneyball was kind of centered around finding value in players that were otherwise you know, ostracized for not looking the part necessarily. And that's why the Oakland A's basically got them for cheap and went on <laughs> yeah. to have this a very successful season. Emmanuel Forbes just fits the Moneyball profile just perfectly because for everything about this guy as a player, as a person, every single box is checked. It's, it's not like, like we like him just because we like him for no reason. No, there's data behind how good he is. There's film that supports how good he is. I think he's interviewed very well. He seems like a great person. He seems like a great teammate. Everything. The only thing that people are hung up about is, is, is his weight. Now, I don't know if the 10 pounds that he's added from the time of the combine to now is good weight. I know that he's long. He's got a long span, so he's got a yeah. frame that he can fill out. And I know that because he said this, that he plans on playing at least at 180, 185 when the season begins, which is fine for a 6'2", 180, 180-pound quarterback. That's essentially the dimensions that Drake Kirkpatrick was when he was the Bengal. Now, Drake Kirkpatrick, compared to Emmanuel Forbes, doesn't compare because Drake Kirkpatrick was never as productive, not only as a tackler, but as a coverage cornerback compared to Emmanuel Forbes. The fact that this guy had a 95 percentile solo tackle market share in an SEC defense it tells you everything that you need to know about his physicality and his willingness to get in there despite his plain weight. Like, you only care about 166 if it shows up as a negative on tape, and it just doesn't. Going up against the best athletes in college football, he's getting in on basically every tackle possible. For a, a guy who's at that size playing cornerback in the SEC, that amount of tackles compared to your team's tackles is very rare, and it's a huge indicator of success at the next level. If Emmanuel Forbes is 195 pounds right now, he would not escape the top 15 picks. But because right. he's 160, he's 176 right now, and he plans to gain 10 more pounds, he's potentially going to be available to the Bengals at 28, and I can't think of a better pick, honestly, right now than him right now. The, you know... The question about the weight is a good one. And again, when whenever you hear, I, I've seen this so many times over the years that, oh, you know, if it, it usually occurs with a player who's deemed a tweener, whether it's a, an edge line or outside linebacker or, you know, some of those types of players where they either gain weight or they lose weight. Well, they're losing weight so they can gain a little speed. Well, then they can't shed blocks as well, uh, potentially uh, on defensive purposes. And then the other way, they're gaining weight. Well, then they lose speed. So that's something I always, you know, granted, we're talking about a guy with a light frame and good speed anyway, but you are talking about adding essentially 20 pounds um, since, you know, in a couple of months is, is what he's aiming for since the combine. So that's something to watch in terms of like, you know, is that going to affect his speed? Is that what, what's that going to do to him? Is it good weight? Like you, you mentioned, I'm sure it is. Uh, but he has the frame to add in extra weight because he's got that length and everything there. I'll take it a step back from your money ball analogy and, and sound like the dummy that I am um, just in coaching players, various sports and whatnot. One, one thing that always kind of stood out about some players is the, the quote unquote gamer thing. Right. And what I mean by that is you have a player on your team to your point of, not looking the part or you, you, the expectations may not be as high for a particular player. And so you either, you know, they don't get as much playing time. They don't start as often, or you ease them into the lineup, that sort of thing. Yet every single time that person, that player gets in there in a game, in a game situation, an important situation, they just play well. 
They step up. They play well. And and some of the things that you're to your point, the preconceived notions, the different things that tell you that uh, the athleticism may not be there, the size may not be there, uh, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And you just put a guy in a situation, and they play their ass off, and they play well. And this guy already has a lot of the skills, so they're obviously. You know, there, there's not a lot of things to knock in terms of preconceived notions against him. It's really just that weight. But like you said, you put on the tape with this kid. And, and unfortunately, we're talking a lot about him. And he's not the guy we're previewing this week. But we'll try <laughs> and maybe get to him next week. It, You know, you put on the tape with this guy. There's tenacity. There's length. There's ball skills. There's speed. There's there's really the whole package. And, and really, if he can add on good weight, it just kind of seems like this is this is – the guy on a very, very short list the Bengals should look at should he be there. And I want to address something that our friend Andrew Woods in the comments said. You draft players in the first round, they should be starting and contributing, not sitting like last year referring to Dax Hill, who, you know, end up being a good pick considering what happened with the Bengals' safety room. The draft is obviously not about finding first-year contributors. It's finding young talent that's under contract for four years that can help you in the long run. And obviously a premium position like cornerback only enhances the ar- the argument to take a guy like Emmanuel Forbes. But even beyond just the long-term outlook of this, which is obviously positive, he would be immediately the Bengals' third cornerback on the outside, obviously cornerback four, considering Mike Hilton is in the slot. Right, right. Quarterback four for the Bengals, that's been Eli Apple the past couple of years, and he's played a ton in the past few years now. The Bengals have relied heavily on immediate cornerback depth because injuries are just inevitable. You play 20, 21 games a year, Guys are going to break down. They they ran into it with Trey Waynes, with Chidabe Wuzier last year. They've had guys play unexpected snaps because they've had to, and that's not going to stop. You can't just expect Chidabe Wuzier coming off of a torn ACL, mind you, to play all 70 games and Cam Taylor Britt. If that does happen, that's amazing. Emmanuel Forbes can take the year, maybe play some snaps here and there and just work on just building some core strength, but odds are... He's going to play, and he's going to play very important games because you need cornerback depth. You will always have to rely on cornerback depth every single year. So, yes, he wouldn't be penciled in as a starter this year, but I promise you Emmanuel Forbes will play hundreds of snaps this year if he's a Cincinnati Bengal. I agree with this sentiment from Andrew Woods. If you're a team that is coming off a four- or six-win season last year, right? If you are a team that has roster holes, you use that first round pick and you say you better be a pretty high impact player for us. Look around on the Bengals roster. Who's who's which starters immediately getting replaced with a first round pick this year? Maybe right tackle, depending on whatever the hell they do with all the options that they currently have right there. I mean, you could, I guess, talk about left guard, but Volson, I think they like him. I there were some nice moments last year. Um I mean, running back, I guess, uh, you know, I mean, you can make an argument there, I guess. I mean, there's really not too much of a gl- – and then you go, well, what about safety? Well, you just drafted a guy first round last year who's going to step into the role this year because of the departures, so that's why you drafted the guy a year in advance. So I get the sentiment, and I, I've been a, a lot of um, – I've been in line with that thinking for a long time. You want a guy that just doesn't have a red shirt year necessarily, but – the Bengals roster is in much better shape than it has been in so many different years under so many different head coaches that these last couple of seasons, they haven't needed the guy to come in and be like, Oh man, we need a guy. We need a, an immediate edge defender. And this is also in part, John, because of what we just talked about a minute ago and the Bengals doing more 
and hitting home runs in free agency yeah. and outside free agency to fill those roster holes and not need a first round pick to come in and be and be the savior of the franchise right away. And that that's how it should go, right? The Bengals used to take this, you know, draft not for need but for value and for talent when they weren't as active in free agency and that led to some roster deficiencies, right? Because so, sometimes they wouldn't draft for immediate impact and people would get on Marvin Lewis for not playing rookies, but the team still had holes that it refused to fill with competent veterans. Now you're getting the best of both worlds. Now the team is still relying on that philosophy in the draft, but they're attacking needs in free agency with competent players and also not breaking the bank in doing so. This is how you want a team to construct a roster on a yearly basis. And I don't think that's going to change this year just because you know, all their needs are more or less filled. Like, immediate impact this year would be tight end, be running back. If you get, like, Bijan Robinson, you're obviously not keeping Joe Mixon. Like, he would come in and start. Again, other than that, I, I don't, like, three technique would play in tandem with B.J. Hill, much like a cornerback would probably end up playing hundreds of snaps behind, you know, Taylor Britt and Awuzie because of injuries. Like, it's all kind of in the same bucket outside of maybe two positions on offense and tight end and running back. There's conversations about the value of that in the first round anyways, which we all talked about last week and how it's not as pressing at 20th overall with that argument. But still, if you're only drafting your first round pick for just how much he contributes in year one, you're leading yourself to potentially open up to problems down the road where you have a first round pick at one position that you don't really need, you know, long-term help in a couple years now. Like that's just not the outlook to look at it. Yeah, I, I mean, even even the positions you mentioned, I guess running back would be the major major outlier because you know that and that's fluid because what are they going to do with Joe Mixon? We're not totally sure. There was a new newer development in that whole situation. Tight end, yeah, that's another one you could bring to the table. But even Irv Smith, I think they have an idea that Irv Smith is going to have a pretty high profile role in this offense going this year. So even then you're talking about a heavy rotational player with a first round pick at best, um, maybe a starting running back. If that's the route you go, we'll see. But this, that position is where we're going to go next before we get to our player preview. And my co-host doesn't know I'm going to do this, but I got to pop this up here uh, in case you all have not read this. And I'm going to pin this in the live chat because John, you did this, you put this together and this was outstanding, outstanding work, my friend. Um, And I, sorry, I didn't give you public kudos until right now, but this was, this was very well done. Um, John put a lot of research in this and, and this is all about the running backs. And now that's another position that is getting a lot of run in the, for the Bengals in this year's uh, class and, and where they might go early talk, you know, first round, second round, third round. There's a lot of different uh, talk about where the Bengals may go here, but talk, talk a little bit about what you covered here, John, because you, you know, I I thought this was really good. You talked about height, weight, rookie age, uh, MSA score, and then of course college production and how that fits certain profiles. You talked about a lot of guys here. Um, Talk about the, 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 kind of the profile you compiled here. And then of the names you brought in here, you see, you know, Bijan, Charbonnet, all these different guys. Who was the guy that you felt like? Because I have, I kind of have an idea now. Who was the guy when you put this piece together where you were like, this is probably the best fit for the Bengals in this year's class if they want to make a significant move at running back? 
So the work was done basically trying to find the critical factors of what the Bengals looked when they seriously invested at running back. Like, obviously, they've taken guys like Rodney Anderson, Travion Williams, Chris Evans is another one. But I feel like you can't always look at later round prospects to determine, like, what a team looks for in the position. When they've seriously invested in, like, a future starter or an immediate starter at the position, they've typically done in the second round. But I included Mark Walden in there just because – I feel like the pick for oh, running back is going to be between yeah, it's going to be between rounds two and four. So I just threw Mark Walden in there because his overall data also stacked up comparatively to that of Jer- Joe Mixon, Jeremy Hill, and Giovanni Bernard. All four of those guys weren't really used as much in college compared to some of the other workhorses in this class. Typically, like Hill, Mixon, and Walden didn't exceed 400 carries in college. Giovanni Bernard had 423, but Bernard, Hill, and Mixon just played two years. Like, they weren't even, like, redshirted. I think maybe Gio was redshirted as, as a freshman, but they just have two years flat of playing experience, and then they left for the NFL. Mark Walden, I think, had three and was into one. So, again, his workload wasn't was pretty on the on the lighter side. So that was something that stood out. They were also pretty productive. MSA score essentially accounts for, you know, market share com- relative to your age and the strength of schedule that you played. It's, again, really indicative of future success. All, all of them were pretty young, right? Only Giovanni Bernard Very uh, young, turned, yep. turned 22 in his, rookie age, uh, in his rookie year. I think Jeremy Hill did as well. But Joe Mixon was like 20 when he was drafted. And I think the same goes for Mark Walden. And, you know, in terms of size, not a ton. But I think 200 is probably like the soft threshold that you can look for in terms of who's going to be the next Bengals running back. I wouldn't go too far below that. So combining all of that, there were like seven running backs that pretty much fit every single target. And the one that stood out the most to me was probably Kendry Miller, actually, out of TCU. Because he okay. fit the size. Uh, not a ton of workload on on his body, but he was really productive at TCU in the year that he was featured. And I think that's not really going to matter. The fact that he wasn't featured until his final year, I, I don't think that really matters that much when they look at running backs. But he comes into the NFL with fresh legs. The only downside with him is that he's currently injured, and that's why he didn't test. But just looking at all the data and just factor read in, like maybe they want, would want someone on maybe the slightly bigger side to maybe like handle the workload going forward. Like he just stood out. Like Israel uh, Abinakinda also stood out too, but I just don't know. Mm-hmm. He's just all over the boards right now, and I feel like there's just some questions about his ability to like, you know, break tackles and like, you know, generate yards after contact and stuff like that. But he also makes a ton of sense just looking at his. Raw data to Rashawn Johnson, another guy like I, I think he was there for four years at Texas, but he only carried the ball 390 or so times. So he comes in with, a, again, a light workload, but he's by far the biggest out of these guys that fit the thresholds. He's six foot, 220 pounds, again, only 22 years old. And despite not carrying the ball that much, he was still relatively productive for being by Robinson Robinson all those years. So, yeah, these guys just stood out in, in ways that the others didn't. And if there is one guy on the, who got cut from these seven, who I can definitely see the Bengals investing in. It's Zach Charbonnet, just because yep. he was slightly over 500 carries. Because he played four years in college, he didn't fit the threshold, but I can see the, him being an outlier in their eyes just because he checks literally every single other box. Well, this is excellent work. I, I meant to tell you when you put this out, my man, uh, this was this was really well done. You could tell there's a lot of work put into this, but... 
Um, I, I agree with you. I was a little bummed that on your short list, Charbonnet wasn't there, and it looked like he was maybe just a uh, you know a tick or two off in a couple of areas that made him not be on there. We did. I don't know. Was it last week we talked about Charbonnet or two weeks ago? I think. Uh, we profiled him, so go check that out in case you want to check out uh, some clips and what we had to say about him. I will say uh, Israel Abakanda um, is the guy that I think um, you know it would intrigue them a bit just from a versatility standpoint and um, you know p- potentially value where he may be drafted. This is the guy, though. I know he's lighter. I know he's smaller. Jameer Gibbs, this is the guy – I don't know that the Bengals would pounce in the first round. I think the board would have to fall a very certain way. Top tight ends, you know, probably Mayer and Kincaid off the board. Maybe a few of the right tackles. Cansey's gone. I mean, a, a lot of their guys that you're looking at that have been mocked to them, you know, Forbes gone. I, this is a guy to me, though, that look at look at the MSA score that jumped out to me. You see the career receptions. The He's got some carries, but not a ton. The receptions, the versatility, the age, the, the size is a little concerning, but I think just the skill set, the age, and that MSA score that you put together there, that's the guy that jumps out to me. It's just a matter of where do they value him? Is he a first-round pick? Is Can he be had in the second round? How's the board going to be going to be falling? That's the guy, though, that stands out to me, man. Hey, it's a Popeye's biscuit away from 200, so I'm, I'm yep. not really concerned about the weight. I think he'll be probably 205, probably if not this year, then next year for sure, which is essentially the same size as Geo. I mean, just his profile screams a more productive Geo. Like, he was by far the best receiving back in all of college football. And if you're looking to find ways to create a more explosive offense, despite defenses doing everything in their power to prevent that, Get a receiver that can not only run great routes out of the backfield, but can generate easy yards after contact. He is just such a natural lighter and just makes these insane cuts with the ball, man. Like he's he's going to be good immediately. He's going to be good for probably the the whole life of his deal. And I did put up a mock draft today where the Bengals traded back and maybe you know maybe took Gibbs in the 30s. So check that out too. All right. Well, I uh, I. I didn't pin that one. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> a, a guy uh, that was this. This one was really good, and I know running back is a big point of, of conversation with Bengals fans and Bengals circles. So um, definitely go check out that article. I pinned it in the live chats. There, really, really good stuff. But yeah, I mean, a couple of names. I, I, I think it, uh, Israel stands out to me. Um, I, I like Roshan, but I, I think a, a thing that scares me a little bit is just the fact that back kind of a backup back you know is he a benefactor of just some of the things that Bijan and and that offense does I I don't know um but he's an effective player I I I think uh, I think the Bengals met with him recently did they not um uh, so he may be I have to look at that Uh, there's been so many meetings it's like oh my gosh yeah um so uh at, at any rate couple of guys on there that that really stand out to me and I think you know Gibbs is an exciting player I'm not all about the Bengals. We've talked about that argument last week about where the Bengals pick, positional value, all that kind of stuff. But um, I'm not super high on, on going running back in the first round, but I think if the board falls a certain way and that guy seems like the best guy available, you may want to pull the trigger there. We'll see. One position that the Bengals are settled at, but they are not settled at the backup spot. Um, they did not re-sign Brandon Allen. And they brought in Trevor Simeon for a visit, but that did not 
materialize into anything. And so John, the Bengals had a pre-draft visit with a very versatile, athletic, and exciting quarterback pro, uh, prospect here. And yes, I went University of Cincinnati last week with the prospect profile. So yes, <laughs> I am going He's back. back. I'm going back to the Pac-12. There's a lot of Pac-12 guys that intrigue me this year. I mean, I I know some sometimes I reach for some, but uh, there's a lot of guys that kind of intrigue me this year from the Pac-12. Um, because really, the Trojans were good last year. The Bruins have been good the past couple of years. And this guy is a major reason why. Quarterback Dorian Thompson Robinson, a dual threat guy, but a guy that has shown a lot of progress under Chip Kelly, which is both promising and I guess for, for some it may be a little concerning in, in some ways because it's like, you know, how much was is that the system and the coach? And we'll talk about that because I've got some clips and everything. And I got to tell you, man, his clips are fun, fun, fun. And here's Albert Breer reporting it. This is on CincyJungle.com. The Bengals are hosting uh, UCLA quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson a top 30 visit today slash tomorrow. Um, you know, they they want to probably go, and this is where that guy would go, day three as a backup, QB2, QB3, depending on the development that he shows early. And you would hope that the development would come early, uh, would be shown early, John, because uh, he is a fifth-year guy. He's a fifth-year redshirt senior a guy who has started in games in all five years for the Bruins. And again, the things he did, has done the last couple of years have been really short of remarkable. Um, I, I, I think what he has shown has been um, really, really awesome stuff. Here he is right here. We'll, we'll go full screen on this bad boy. Uh, UCLA quarterback Dorian Thompson Robinson. And why are we talking about quarterbacks? Well, I just told you because the Bengals hosted him for a visit. 6'2", 203 was the recent weigh-in. He is 23, turns 24 in the middle of the season. He's a senior, a redshirt senior from South Carolina. A lot of athleticism and a lot of cool things on tape that you can see from this guy, and we'll, we'll get to that in, in just a second. Had a good 40 time. I think it was 4.56. That'll come on in just a second here. Um, 4.56, 40 time. And over 10,000 career passing yards, close to 11,000, as a matter of fact, close to 3,200 of those last year, 88 passing touchdowns in his career, 27 last year, a 63.3% completion percentage in his career, close to 70% last year, which is awesome. Uh, 157.4 rating last year, 145.6 in his career, 36 interceptions, just 10 last year, 1,800 yards plus on the ground in his career, 645 of those last year um and so you you look at stuff john and here's here's the thing that um i mean that's a, a wow 37 total touchdowns and um over 10,000 passing yards here look at look at this play just strike down the middle here's dulcich time by the way you want to know why he went higher than a lot of people thought that's why um nice so what i've seen on the high arcing balls a little sometimes has a little bit of an underthrow tendency you know, you see here back foot, that guy was just wide open. So it kind of floats a little bit, but some of the balls zing across the middle. Look at that throw. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Um, granted that guy was wide open, but uh, this is another nice one, a little underthrown, but you can see zip across the middle gets over the, the couple first lines of defense. This guy carries it into the end zone for a nice score here. This is another one zip through defenders in stride. That's just a hell of a throw right there. 
But you, there's a trend you see here, John. Uh, RPO, 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 RPO. Nice play to Dulcich again. Um, great throw, although he was wide open, and great play by him. Look at this. Um, so, I, I, you know, a lot of this stuff comes out of RPO. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing if you're the Bengals because the Bengals have run a number of RPO plays. By the way, this, this play is incredible. Um, it just breaks about four different – I think this is against Bowling Green. Breaks about four different tackles and takes it you know, 60, 70 yards for a running score. This is an awesome play here too, where uh shows the leaping ability and whatnot. We'll talk about his RAS. Look at that. Wow. Woo! Yeah. Uh, and then this one, we've got another little leap for you right there. That one's pretty Jesus. awesome for a first down. Yeah. So you look at this here, here's the RAS a little lower than you think, but it's mostly because of his size. You look at the elite speed grade, Great composite explosion grade, and you see the broad jump and the vertical jump, uh, broad jump over 10 feet. That's awesome for a quarterback. Uh, poor agility grade, which is a little, um, you know, that's kind of the lateral movement stuff and, and different things like that. So um, elusiveness in the pocket. He can dodge guys are, uh, that are coming after him. He is awesome on the RPO plays, particularly the ones that have the line drive throws in the intermediate areas. You saw some of those zip plays across the middle. He's got the speed and athleticism. That's not a question. Again, solid and short and intermediate passes. He is inconsistent on those high arching deep throws. Nice spelling error by me right there. Huge improvement with age and high end coaching. So again, the, the last two years, he's shown a lot of great uh, improvement as both a runner and a passer decision-making confidence in the pocket and doing things like that. But is that, again, is he going to need elite coaching uh, to, to be a successful QB two at the next level? Um, and so again, best scheme fit as well is a question for you, but man, you see the athleticism, you saw the, 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 the nice jumps over, over guys uh, in big plays. I, the zip balls across the middle. That's what kind of surprised me as I went back. I saw a lot of this guy, over the last couple of years, but those zip balls across the middle, I, I obviously remembered him from, yeah, a couple nice passes, but running the ball really well and being an effective dual weapon. Um, so yeah, some of those intermediate passes off RPO were things that I found to be really, really impressive with this kid. So he's got an arm and he's got legs, which makes him the opposite of Brandon Allen, essentially, which is, <laughs> yeah. which is totally fine for me. Like, I feel like a lot of fans kind of carry the sentiment. I think we're seeing some of the comments like, it doesn't matter who the backup is because he's not Joe Burrow. A hundred percent, right? It was the it was um whoever the Colts coach was back in the day when they said that like they don't practice without paid man because we don't practice effed essentially, right? So yeah, if if a backup quarterback isn't for Joe Burrow, it ultimately doesn't matter in the long run. But if God forbid there's a there's a game, there's like a, a half where they have to play without Joe Burrow, I think you do want someone with more upside and just more unpredictability. And just allows you to do more to potentially win a game in a pinch surrounded by a great team. Now, you can try your best to just compliment a guy like Brandon Allen who's limited and needs to have a perfect pocket and needs to throw off a perfect base and everything to, to keep on schedule. But I think with, with, with Thompson Robinson, like he can create out of structure and he can create on his own and he can, he can provide you that spark if you need, uh, if you need a win in like the last quarter or two. Now, again, this is a lot of praise, I guess, for a quarterback who's not going to be drafted very high in the draft. But 
I think it did him a lot of favors to stay in school for as long as possible because you did see that growth with not only his production, but I think in his game as well. I think he might have to work on his throwing motion a little bit. I think he might have to tighten that up just a a little bit. But again, as a backup, he will have plenty of time to kind of develop all those mechanics and everything. But I think it's good that the Bengals are showing interest in quarterbacks, not only who are young that can develop under Burrow, but just provide different things and better things than a guy like Brandon Allen or even Jake Browning can provide. There's two schools of thought with this. You know, I mean, of course, you'd like to have someone. I mean, there's not a carbon copy of Joe Burrow out there. If there was, every team would be clamoring for one. But, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, someone that resembles a little bit of the skill set where there's just enough nimbleness in the pocket and, you know, you can have a high level of accuracy potentially. And I think that's kind of what drew the Bengals a little bit to Trevor Simeon in in some ways. You know, he can can move around the pocket and has shown the ability to be accurate um, at the next level. And there's also not that, you know, he th- this this kid's DTR is, uh, you know, a, a complete opposite of Joe Burrow because he runs the RPO stuff. Burrow moves better and gets more rushing yards than a lot of people give him credit for. So, I mean, there's kind of some similarities there as well. I think even with the close to 70 percent per- completion percentage by DTR this year, I think, you know, Burrow's just known as highly accurate, pinpoint accurate, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I don't want to say that he's not pinpoint accurate, but I mean, I, I wouldn't say he's that that's the absolute strongest asset of his. But to your point, John, you said, you know, you want a guy who has some upside potentially if there's a, you know, holy crap moment where you got to have a guy in there to, to come in there and, and try and keep the, the ship afloat. Let's say Joe Burrow just misses – you know, a series, a quarter, but comes back. That What this kid provides is even if he's not, especially early, if he's not so comfortable in a system or, man, I, I you know, I don't know if I can go through three progressions right now as a, you know, I'm a rookie, whatever. Um, he can still, with athleticism and with different elements that he brings to the table, that zip ball across the middle that he can throw, I think he can still kind of, keep a defense a little bit on its heels, even for a brief moment of time in, in a game and move the football down the field. If, if the Bengals need that now, again, we're talking about a contingency plan that nobody wants to ever have the team to ever use, but again, contingency plans are in place for a reason. And so the Bengals have been exploring these options. And if God forbid, there is some sort of issue where Burrow has to miss some time Maybe the upside, the athleticism, and the dual threat that this kid brings is something that would intrigue them enough that they feel they can, you know, develop and and have a good QB two on their roster. When would you take him? Like, are you considering taking a quarterback just with seven picks, or would you prefer if they traded back and like picked up an extra fifth or sixth or something? Uh, you know, I mean, I, in an ideal world, I think. I think you'd want an extra pick to be able to be like, hey, you know, and that, then we can use one of these. He's going to go day three, is is my opinion here. I don't, I don't think there's any question about that. I don't, I don't think he's. I, I think it's probably going to be like a round five type of situation. Um, that's that's kind of where I see. I I think teams will look at you know not only the the last two years of work, but the athletic profile of this kid and be like, you know, there's there's there are tools here. There are a lot of tools here to work with. And is he ready to start for an NFL team tomorrow? Maybe not, but I, I think he's a guy that I think he's wherever he goes, 
You're going to see this kid in the preseason games because he'll get a lot of work, and you'll be like, wow, this guy's just shredding teams in preseason. That won't translate necessarily right away to, <laughs> to the regular season, but I, I think you'll I think you'll see things early from him that'll be like, wow, um, this kid's got skills. And uh, so I, I, it's kind of a little bit of the situation with punter for the Bengals too, right? Where it's like, well, do you really want to use a – a pick on a backup quarterback that or or a punter or what have you i mean it, it kind of depends on where the other pieces fall where the board falls and all of that uh, ideally again you'd want to get another pick or two by trading somebody or trading back that sort of thing um but I, I the more i think about this it would not surprise me if the Bengals say on day three we want a developmental guy that we want to work behind joe burrow as a backup you know what dtr jake browning pack 12 bat battle to carry joe burrow's microsoft surface let's do it <laughs> let's do it i know it's probably not the sexiest topic talking backup quarterback and i guess that where the Bengals are in a such an enviable enviable position that they don't need to necessarily you know talk about oh all the top end quarterback prospects in a class but um again you need to round out your roster and you need to get the most talented players possible be it at a backup position rotational player what have you and this kid provides a lot of upside for sure Oof. So, I mean, th- there's him, there's Clayton Toon, there's, I think, Aiden O'Connell that they met with um, previously, the quarterback out of Purdue. So it's, it's a very real thing, you know, and I feel like th- this has been not talked about enough. Just the fact that Burrow is entering now his second contract and, you know, Brandon Allen was entering his third. It just makes a lot of sense to actually start developing a quarterback. I believe they took, I believe they took A.J. McCarron in the fifth round the year after Andy Dalton signed his extension. So yep. you got to look at these trends, man, and it does add up. Yep, yep. Well, that is our draft profile this week. We may have a couple of others for you next week. Well, we will have at least one for you next week. We'll keep this rolling as long as you guys enjoy them, and we'll try not to have the uh, the lovely spelling error that I saw right there. That was just terrible. But regardless, I uh, hope you enjoy them, and we'll keep, keep them rolling at you. What do you got as we get out of here, John? Drop the mic and get out of here. Uh, nothing much, I guess. Beware what you say, or the pro shop will find you. I don't know. <laughs> I I guess I'll say this. Uh, I I want to ask a question of you. Um, if I were to, if we were to continue doing these prospect profiles, would you rather what, what conference? Because I know I focus on my Pac-12. What conference would you say? Hey, Anthony, let's go with this conference next time. You know what? I think we should give a shout out to some of the small school guys. Like, I think I have okay. one in mind, but yeah, like maybe someone not from the Power Six. I don't really care about the American anymore, just because UC's not in it. But but I guess we can we can okay. bunch them in there. So yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, we'll try and work a few in. Maybe maybe we'll do a. I don't know a show's worth of a handful of them. I don't know. We're we're getting uh, getting down to the wire here. We got just a couple weeks left till the draft. I can't even believe it. Um, but we'll be doing a lot of stuff for the draft on draft weekend. Hopefully, John, you'll be able to join me for at least some of that and break down a lot of different things on this show on CincyJungle.com and of course on John's new stomping grounds A to Z Sports. Go check that out. Appreciate all of you. John, appreciate you, my friend, and we will catch up soon, talk a little bit more draft and more small school guys. I guess we'll we'll look at that. Two weeks away. Let's do it. <laughs> Take care.